joined by what James Frith, former Labour MP for Berry North. It's uh, lovely to have you here. Good to be so, here, Luke. <laughs> what motivated you or inspired you to get into politics? Um, I've been politically active for as long as I can remember in my adult life, um, which was really from about two th- year 2000, so 20 odd years uh, and, and the rest. But my earliest political memory was uh, an election night when Margaret Thatcher won her third term of office and uh, very early in the morning, hearing my dad on the stairs uh, coming out and asking him, you know, who won, uh, who won the competition, as I as I called it. Uh, and he said uh, with a very heavy heart that uh, uh, Thatcher had won again. And I, I knew instinctively as a sort of nine, 10 year old then um, what the sort of family politics were. And yeah. uh, that was that was certainly uh, not uh, supportive of, of the Conservative Party, neither then nor now, um, and certainly not Margaret Thatcher. So um, that was the earliest political memory. But then I travelled. Uh, how old are you, Luke? I'm 20. So I travelled just about a year or so younger than you are now to Romania uh, and then South Africa. Romania was recovering from um, Ceausescu's um, authoritarian communist regime uh, had been completely decimated uh, with poverty and inequality uh, and corruption and a whole host besides. Um, and then I went to Mandela's South Africa, which was in the grip of reconciling itself to the abhorrence of apartheid um, and the trauma of reconciliation and forgiveness um, and, and, and that sort of moving beyond that defining period for them as a country uh, to try and build a nation um, that is still very much, you know, in the grips of difficulties for sure, um, but at least is not actively discriminating as a, as a state, as, a, as an ideology. Um, and I came back from that trip supercharged politically and, and that charge has never left me. Mm-hmm. So what was day-to-day life like in Westminster? Never really a day uh, the same as the last, um, not least because in, in Parliament you've got the job of being a parliamentarian, so you're learning the language, the culture, the, um, the ins and outs, if you like, of parliamentary life, uh, not least some of the processes, some of the silly uh, antiquated um, uh, protocols and a lot of process. Uh, and then you've got are a bit outdated. Uh, yes, definitely they are. Um, we can get onto some of those uh, mm-hmm. by all means. And the second part um, of the job was my priority and, and my favourite bit, which was the constituency bit of the job, which was helping resolve issues and problems facing uh, people that I represent. Um, so that be that meeting with them, helping them see through uh, problems that they were facing, writing to others on their behalf, uh, helping them articulate the argument um, and being a representative uh, for them. Uh, no matter what their political allegiances were, the parliamentary representation for me is the most, is the most exciting um, yeah. because you are in a position of responsibility, but also of privilege to help uh, those in need. Mm-hmm. So what brought you to Bury? 
Um, well, my family has a long, a long history in Bury. My great grandfather was the vicar of Bury. Uh, my grandfather was born in Bury. My wife is from Bury, and now all of my family are. So, uh, whilst I moved around as the son of a clergyman, when it came to moving for my forever place, if you like, um, Manchester was a an absolute uh, must because I'm, I'm a huge music fan. Music is my my passion um and uh i came here 25 years ago now and uh it Bury is now my my family's hometown uh, as well as my my own adopted hometown mm -hmm. that's nice so what were your biggest achievements as mp for Bury north um i think a lot of the achievements of a member of parliament uh, if you're doing the job right are um, remain fairly uh, unheard of or unknown, except for that which you are successful on, on the individual's behalf. So mm -hmm. some of the biggest wins, I think, were where you were or we were as a team successful in overturning decisions that, that were going to um, uh, disadvantage a person's life significantly. Um, the biggest or best example, if you like, is... Uh, having a mobility uh, car uh, recommissioned for somebody that had been told he was too terminally ill uh, to now qualify for uh, that or that he had been because he'd been diagnosed with Alzheimer's he would not qualify for the uh, pass for his car um, and and couldn't transfer it to his carer well that is a that is a ridiculous decision and one that we were pleased to uh, support the overturning of and made the case. Uh, and that's one of around uh, nine and a half, 10,000 bits of casework that we, that we resolved in a period of two and a bit years, uh, two and a half years. Um, some of the biggest successes in parliament were again, as a team player really. Um, but I spoke and campaigned for a long time on the inclusion of cystic fibrosis drug uh, or can be on the NHS, which uh, was, there was a sort of rump of us as MPs that spoke to it, uh, spoke about it, debated it, made the case for it, did speeches on it. Um, and that was accepted by the health secretary and is now available. The, the canon of drugs that will can be as part of uh, is, is now available on the NHS. So there's a few examples. I think the, the best or the biggest success, if you like, um, is, is, is still that after nearly two years since I left, um, I continue to receive uh, requests from people like you and who I represented, whether you liked it or not, um, but also that just the affection and the, um, uh, and the goodwill I receive when I'm out and about, you know, not just as a door knocking as a local activist, but, but you know, in the shops going about my business. Mm -hmm. So how did you find it trying to work with uh, other MPs within your party and across party uh, boundaries? Sure. Well, I was on the Education Select Committee, which is a fundamental part of the of keeping a government to, to account, uh, mm -hmm. holding a government to account, uh, crucially is cross-party. So it was chaired by a conserv former Conservative minister, um, had Conservative MPs on it from across uh, their political uh ideology if you like um as well as mps from my own party and we did a we did a number of significant pieces of work not least the publication of a 10-year 
funding plan for schools and colleges. Uh, the biggest achievement, I think, the biggest input I made was leading uh, the work uh, on our inquiry, our national inquiry into the special educational needs and disability um, uh, programs uh, in our schools, which I had been made aware of as a, as a local MP as to the shameful uh, treatment of kids with SEND, with special educational needs or disability in our schools here in Bury. Um, and not just through a lack of budget and the, the kind of impact of budget cuts, which are very real, but in some cases, actually, um, what we found uh, uh, nationally was unlawful practice where local authorities weren't doing what they are supposed to do according to the law. And we exposed a lot of that and we got a number of changes to both the legislation, but we also helped raise the issue in people's consciousness for a group of children that are very easily overlooked by our by a system that is designed to be kind of to, to work for a very specific number of children in my in my opinion um and uh, of course for those parents for whom they're enduring an exhausting process of fighting for what are their rights as parents and children uh, of SCND um mm -hmm. kids so you know that that, that was some of the work so yeah look cross-party is hugely important you don't get anywhere without cross-party works why i uh, brought the chair of the culture media sports select committee damien collins a conservative mp to bury uh to hear from bury fc fans and a number of others besides it's why i continue to have friendship with alistair burt who's a predecessor of of mine in bury north uh, and was a then tory minister in the government of Theresa May, did work with, with him and a number of others. So cross-party is really important. Um, work within the Labour Party um, included this, the, th the, the examples I've, I've spoken to. They, they were obviously involved in, in all of that. Uh, so who would you say are your favourite current MPs, be it both within your party or elsewhere? That's a good question. Um, I like Wes Streeting in the Labour Party, not least because it... Uh, 38 he's just kicked cancer's ass and beat mm -hmm. it he's beaten cancer which is just fantastic but he is an incredibly powerful speaker um and very articulate um there are a number of people i came into parliament with or went into parliament with who are who are doing very well preet gill who's the shadow international development secretary is fantastic uh, sarah jones shadow policing minister is excellent um, and I'm, I'm, I supported uh, Lisa Nandy, a local Greater Manchester MP, whose mum I also represented as, the, uh, as, as her MP because she lives in Ramsbok. Um, I think Lisa's fantastic uh, and has got a great future. And I'm very pleased with what Kia is doing um, in addressing the anti-Semitism issues, in uh, sharpening us up as a party that wants to run the country as opposed to just simply... Uh, bickering amongst ourselves, which won't get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. So just coming back to your time uh, as MP for Bury North, so what were your biggest failures or failings as MP? Um, I think I, I think I would I would deem them as regrets uh, as opposed to failings because and I had this conversation, I had quite a lively conversation with a few people the other day. Um, about similar thing and I think one of the one of the regrets is not to have been able to serve a full term 
Um, I was brought in on a snap general election, which I called at the time a sort of tidal wave. We were swept into power uh, in terms of those MPs like me uh, that got uh, elected when Theresa May called an election that was not planned for. Um, but that same wave was the sort of thing that that, that crashed us out as well. We, we got unelected uh, by a, a snap general election as well, which was not planned. So I was I was very disappointed to not be able to complete uh, the term, which was four to five years, not least because I'd started a number of uh, things rolling with our reaction as a town to the Bury FC work. Um, I would love to have been in a position to speak on behalf of our social care and our hospice care um, as it as the town responds to that responded to the pandemic. I would love to be in support of the Labour Party's renewal. Uh, as we head towards the next general election from within the parliamentary uh, party. Um, and so, yeah, I do, I regret very much not having more time. And when when people have asked me, you know, are you, what else are you doing or are you still involved? Absolutely. But you can only be involved as an activist. You can't carry on really as a, as a, as a, as the MP in the same way that if you, if you lose your job in, but you turn up again on Monday um, people don't say, oh, OK, fine, come on then, well, you know, you will carry on, we'll carry on then. Uh, the decision was made. It was a hugely tight, uh, my kids are kicking off in the kitchen, you can probably hear that. Um, it was a hugely tight uh, result. We're now the most marginal seat in the country. Uh, I think for me, on a night where the Labour Party got spanked nationally, that felt not far off an endorsement of the work that we'd been doing, because usually the constituency of Bury North went went quickly the way of the country in this case we were the last to be announced and we very nearly did the opposite of what the country seemed to be doing mm-hmm. so why do you think you lost to james daly in 2019 where what sorry i said why do you think you lost to james but daly why? in 2019 yeah i think we've an increasing um presidential uh style of elections where people mm-hmm. consider the uh, who's going to be prime minister um, as opposed to who's going to be your local MP. We ran a, a very localised campaign. I was not a, a huge fan of the direction, the increasing direction that Jeremy Corbyn was taking the country, uh, was trying to take the party in rather. And the country clearly had that view and some. Um, and on the doorstep, it was it was very much look, we'll support you if they were going to, but we don't really want Jeremy Corbyn prime minister. Um, and I've written, I've written extensively about that. You, you'd be welcome to, to find it um, or, be, or I can send it to you as to the sheer list of reasons why people would cite back to us why they didn't want Jeremy Corbyn uh, as, uh, as prime minister. And there were a number of MPs, including myself, that were a victim of that. Well, would you not say that regardless of um, what Jeremy Corbyn would, he wouldn't have, if Barry North had voted for Labour, he still wouldn't have been Prime Minister as what the Conservatives had such a significant majority. I agree. Be. I agree. And we were, we, were, uh, we were talking to people on the doorstep about this being a local decision for them as to who represented them in, in Parliament. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the electorate, the voters aren't aren't stupid. They know 
they know that their vote counts and in a marginal seat that tends to indicate the way of the country uh, they didn't feel comfortable the vast majority did by the way because the result was so close um, uh, they didn't feel able to uh, to vote the way we were asking them to and why we were asking them to um, but of course with a majority of only 105 it only needs just over 50 of those uh, Tories to vote Labour next time uh, along with the rest and and that's overcome so there is mm-hmm. you know there's quite a little detail behind the result. Yeah. So uh, you are planning on running in 2024 so what will you be campaigning for? Well I don't have a campaign plan for 2024 and it's unclear whether there'll be a general election uh, uh, in 24 or whether or not it'll be 2023 in fact um, mm-hmm. And there are some even saying it will be sooner than that, though I, I, I doubt it. Um, look, my, my passions will continue to be the same. I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for uh, social care reform, and there's not been a bigger time or a bigger case for that in, uh, uh, for our NHS to adopt a much, far more um, uh, integrated social care model into, into physical care and national care um, po- than, than the post-pandemic argument. We've got an NHS now with five million plus on the waiting list at the height of the most disastrous of NHS crises under Thatcher years before the Labour Party returned to power. um, When John Major was prime minister, it was at three and a half million. So it it trumps even that crisis. Um, We need more money, but we also need a a faster, more dynamic um, growth in our economy. So I would want to be supporting our local businesses. Bury has got the highest rate of startup businesses. There'll be a lot of people starting up businesses post-pandemic because, of course, they may well lose their job or go back to furlough and that ends and they subsequently are made redundant. So I think that will continue as a trend. But I think we've got to uh, come up with a plan for integrated social care into our NHS. I would love to be part of that. From a uh, creative and sport point of view, I continue to support the work going on with Bury AFC in light of the collapse of Bury Football Club and the criminality of the ownership and the treatment uh, by the successive owners and indeed the EFL at the time of that. So I I expect that to feature in some form uh, as well. And of course, as an educational uh, uh, advocate, I'll want to be asking the questions of, of, of our schools and our teachers and our parents as to what state our schools are in and what do we need to do better to support uh, them. Mm-hmm. So do you see the Labour Party as being able to recover from its successive electoral defeats, especially more recently in Hartlepool, which had been quite a strong Labour supporting seat? It's a huge struggle. I don't think the answer to that question is written yet, Luke. Um, and I think it's one that you should not stop asking Uh, And it's one that the Labour Party should not stop thinking about how it answers, because no political party has a right to exist. Um, It is only really through the authority that elections give uh, political parties that they have any uh, right to continue. Um, And you are quickly extinguished um, if you don't carry the support Um, of the voters. And so the Labour Party, I think, is making uh, steps towards a better 
place for it. Uh, and I include myself in that, uh, in that scenario. But there's a huge way to go, a huge way to go. Um, and I'm somebody that I don't want to win simply as the default, uh, you know, not being the Tories. I think we should excite the country. I think we should have a forward offer. We should have a proposition as opposed to simply an opposition. And that means creating vision, ambition and, and captivating people's heart as well as head. So, yes, do I want the Labour Party, but also do I feel connected to it? Can I do I believe in it? Uh, does it excite me? Is it a better future? And I think these are the sorts of emotions that uh, I have uh, instinctively uh, con concentrated on, um, as well as uh, as well as urging the Labour Party under Keir Starmer to to adopt. So, how does the Labour Party differ from under Jeremy Corbyn to now under Keir Starmer? Well, I think we've got serious about the very real issue of anti-Semitism within the. Labour Party ranks that existed. Um, I think we've got serious about the need to engage with constructive uh, business and how we grow an economy with the support of a socially aware, socially justice-minded uh, Labour Party. Um, I don't think we're intolerant of people being successful as we sometimes uh, sounded like we were uh, under the Corbyn leadership not least when we were announcing policies that would take small business ownership under national ownership in uh, up to 10% uh, of national ownership. And so we, we've got rid of some of that. But competence also matters. And so does, uh, so does this ambition. And I think we've got, what we've got to do is simply, much in the same way, it's not about simply not being the Tories. It's got to be far more than simply being not about Jeremy Corbyn anymore. Um, this has to excite people this has to give people a sense that you that the Labour Party can take us into the future and deal with some of the issues that we're facing and I think actually an example today Keir Starmer's response to the ongoing situation in Afghanistan versus Boris Johnson it's it's complete sort of buffoonery in Johnson versus a, a, a competent statesman-like and compassionate Keir Starmer. Mm -hmm. So what does, I mean, I've seen this being asked numerous times, what does Keir Starmer stand for and what does his Labour Party stand for? Or what are their policies? What, what do you want to achieve? Well, we've got to, we've got to get rid of the uh, rife inequality. Look, the government has talked, has identified, if you like, the symptom of the problem. But mm -hmm. it's also got to recognise it's, it's the cause of that problem. After mm -hmm. 12 years of austerity... Uh, and of basically hollowing out uh, great communities like Hartlepool to then point at it and say, gosh, this all needs levelling up, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. He's a bit rich. And so we've got to win that argument. The tussle between uh, political tribes that the country recognises as authoritative, we've got to win that fight. And at the moment, we're not. Um, and we've got to, it's not just about banging on about austerity. It is about apportioning some blame for that uh, for that levelling off of communities um, under austerity, under successive Conservative governments. But like I say, it cannot just simply be a complaint. It has to be an offer. It has to be a substantive pitch to why you want to run the country and why things will get better. And under Keir Starmer, I think that's about people. He's, he's, he's neatly summed it up as the best place to grow up and the best place to grow old. 
Um, and that for me is a return to, I'm sure you've studied it. If you, if you, if you haven't yet, you, I'm sure you will. Um, the, the cradle to grave, the beverage welfare state, the kind of principles of good government that you are, that you have an answer for everybody. I've talked amongst my supporters and friends and family of a sense of everyone being involved. And the Labour Party should start with a bid to involve everybody in its government in some form. Um, and that is not about creeping in with 35% of the support of the electorate, mm. but actually saying, well, what is, our, what is our answer to ambitious families that want to go on and succeed and get up to a higher tax bracket and you know, do as well as mm. they possibly can? Or do we leave them to, to be picked up by the Tories once we've helped them reach that point? I'm hungry uh, to have the attentions and the affections and the support um, of, of, of any registered uh, voter and have policies that answer the issues they're facing. So you said that you want more people involved in a, a Labour government, but have the Labour Party membership numbers not been decreasing over the past two odd years? Hasn't what well, you've been outcasting quite a lot of uh, underground activists who used to go around doing door knocking and leafleting, hence the what election defeat in Hartlepool and having to drive people in to do the campaigning locally as there weren't any there for you. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's an accurate assessment of, of okay. any of that. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of half correct sort of pointers there, but the picture that's the joined up uh assessment makes is is not one i recognize i mean hartlepool a by-election as, as with batley and spen is the national party and national activists and all mps and anyone that wants to help the labor party always uh flood the constituency the same is true in amersham uh in the by-election that the tories famously lost that was absolutely scattered with liberal democrat and conservative activists uh, who wanted to fight for the win in Amersham, uh, very few of them proportionately will have been from the seat. They'll have come in and gone out and the vote will have happened and the result will have happened. So that's that's the first thing I'd say about by-elections. Yes, there's been a, a reduction of some of the Labour Party membership uh, in its pomp of, of membership numbers under Jeremy Corbyn, but that's because um, some of them have been thrown out for anti-Semitism because Keir Starmer's addressing those issues. Some of them are left in principle because they don't recognise Keir Starmer as their, uh, as their leader, if you like, and doesn't, don't want to be part of the Labour Party anymore. But a political party is far bigger than its membership, or has to be far bigger than its membership. And that's been the problem. It, it, I would rather have fewer members in the Labour Party and have a successful term of office in government mm -hmm. and change the lives of the very people that we drive ourselves to Labour Party meetings to talk about and hope and hope and give, uh, give hope for than celebrate, as we were often um, pro privy to doing, uh, prone to doing, celebrate an increase in membership of, of the Labour Party, talk amongst ourselves, congratulate ourselves, and then forget the ambitions, uh, the attentions, the affections of the electorate that we should be there to serve, and indeed were ordained uh, that by, the, by the creation of the Labour Party uh, to serve. And I include that uh, I include the trade union movement as, as much as I do within that uh, assessment as well, who do brilliant work and for whose job it is to make sure that everyday lives are improved for all. Mm -hmm. So you just, again, uh, highlighted that you are there elected to serve the people of your constituency. So 
how do you feel about the party whip system? And do you not think that it undermines our representative democracy? No, I don't. Um, I think the whip system, you've still got a freedom to uh, um, exercise. You can break the whip. Um, but politics is slightly cuter than simply doing as you're told. Um, representative democracy is actually about judgment. Um, and you'll have read probably um, the social contract, um, mm -hmm. whereby and a member of parliament owes his or her constituents your judgment as opposed to um, simply being told what to do. Because you, your parents, your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever could tell me um, this is what I want you to do. And someone else tells you this is what I want you to do. A good constituency MP does not shut their ears off to uh, the back and forth of debate, but embraces it, listens to as many people as, as they can, and then makes a judgment on it. And that judgment, I think, is, is, is the thing you're, judged, is you're then judged on. So we say that they can break the whip, but in 2019, just on the run-up to the uh, election, uh, Boris Johnson deselected 29 MPs because they rebelled against the government. What's to stop the same thing happening under a Labour government wanting to secure victory? Uh, I, how do you mean, sorry, wanting to so secure if, So let's say come, be it 2023, 2024, Labour win, what's to stop MPs who rebel against Keir Starmer from being deselected on the run-up to the next uh, election after that? So they weren't deselected. They had the whip removed from them um, mm -hmm. in parliamentary terms. Um, I think in some cases they left the party, which obviously meant they would then have been independent candidates and some indeed were at the general election. I mean, in short, there's nothing that stops. But I don't know why that I don't see that necessarily as a as a sort of criticism of the system. Um, mm -hmm. If you break the whip, you face consequences in the same way that, you know, you break rules at work. Um, you face the consequences. But uh, you see, political judgment is as much about the use of your political capital, i.e. the mandate that you've got from your electorate, whether or not you're in a, a you've got a vast majority, you can kind of largely do what you want. Uh, you've got a minority, uh, or a small majority rather, in, in your constituency, and you, you're a marginal seat, that's a lot harder. And so engagement very often is one of the arguments I've made about what I called the marginal seat test was that constituencies like Bury North actually were the ones that needed to be listened to and heeded the most because they were um, uh, they would define elections more readily, but crucially as well, the sheer volume of work that goes on in these seats very often, in my opinion, in my experience, uh, is 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 often keener and possibly even harder working than those in what I called soundproof constituencies, where they can weigh the votes as Tory votes or weigh the votes as Labour votes and ne never change. It's always Tory or it's always a Labour winner. Um, whereas in a marginal seat, you've got to fight for everything. And every, literally every conversation you have could have a, um, could have a consequence. Mm -hmm. So is first past the post fit for purpose or would you prefer a more proportionally representative system? I'm 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 tall on this. I think I think it probably is the best system we've got, but it's not without fault. Um, and I say that uh, as somebody within the party that recognises we've chosen alternative voting and PR um, proportional representational versions of it 
in some of our internal elections. So candidate selection for to, to stand um, the mayoralty um, are, are voting onto the National Executive Committee and others besides. Um, but first possible, uh, and also I might add, in, in, in two instances where I've stood and not been successful in Bury North, I'd have won with the with a proportional representation vote. And yet I still maintain, I think first past the post is the best of the of the bunch uh, or the best of what we've got um, at the moment. I think you run a race, you expect that the person that comes first, no matter how much by or how little by, uh, the person that wins the race wins the race. Well, even if on um, when, which is often the case, the majority of people, the majority of people in the constituency actually vote against them. They don't actually support the candidate who wins. The same could be said. But well, we've not had a majority support in government since 1940s. So, right. oh, well, I think I think some I think I think Blair may have won the popular vote uh, previously, maybe his first election. Uh, I don't have the numbers to hand, but but. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a powerful emotive argument, isn't it? But no one voted singularly for an alternative. So I think you end up, it, it's it's sort of, it's like, uh, I don't have a, a similar analogy to the running the race thing, but but the, the runner that wins, that wins the race, you don't somehow say, yeah, but collectively we're all competing against you, so you, you don't deserve. Actually, everyone is in the same, the rules are the same for all. And so mm-hmm. I think that's quite powerful, though, as you as you make the point yourself, my children are trying to leave the house. It's quite a lot of noise. Sorry. Um, as, you, as you make the point yourself, um, you know, there are arguments that sound quite powerful, um, but I don't think anyone's at a disadvantage from the outset. So it's it's I think what we've got at the moment is probably the best of the best of the bunch uh, un- until until it becomes a more powerful uh, argument to the contrary. So what are your thoughts on the past 11 years under the Conservatives? <laughs> Gosh, um, I'm going to have to go in a minute, Luke. We've had 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, well, I, I think they're a disaster. They, they've, they've left entirely unanswered the principal problems that we're facing. Rising mm-hmm. inequality, low pay, change of uh, reliance from fossil fuels into uh, uh, renewables is at best half-hearted. Um, successive prime ministers that have either not been up to the job or have since been found out to be corrupt. David Cameron pocketing 10 million quid for lobbying his own former ministers uh, with the Green Seal scandal. Um, Boris Johnson continuing to let people down. The speeches today in Parliament from his own MPs saying, you promised this, you promised this, you promised this, and has basically misled uh, misled the country, misled Parliament. Um, uh, the whole debacle on Brexit, whether you wanted it or not, was a disaster. It prevented us concentrating all of our efforts on a whole range of the other issues facing us as a country. Um, so, yeah, they, they, if they left office today, I think other than um, equal marriage, which I give Cameron as, a, as credit, and... Uh, no fees for European uh, nationals registering to stay here post Brexit, and or can be uh, being on the NHS. Uh, I struggle to see anything that has has improved. Mm-hmm. I've just got uh, three more questions, if you won't mind. So, if you That's had a bit fire, go on then. If you had absolute power, what policies or initiatives would you introduce? 
Oh, crikey. Um, absolute power. That'd be mm. dangerous. Pro- probably, I'd probably say no one should have absolute power. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, one of the longest campaigns I've been running is, is the integration of hospice and hospices into social care. I would, I would pick that back up. I'm still very passionate also about um, the need for uh, tertiary considerations being a factor as to why drugs are given backing for the NHS. At the moment, what a person goes on to contribute if they get the drugs that might be expensive, but they then go on and contribute through tax and and economic value. Uh, Mm -hmm. None of that's considered. It's a very sort of clunky, antiquated system. Um, I continue to be a hugely passionate music fan, so I probably um, make touring for artists um, really easy and straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I would uh, I would in- reintroduce uh, a youth service, but I would make it absolutely like sing with uh with success compared to the rest of the world because i think youth is our future young people are our future and we've got to do all we can to to enhance their prospects for success Mm -hmm. so where do you stand on the decriminalization or legalization of cannabis uh i don't have a problem with it being decriminalized uh i Mm -hmm. think if i think uh it would solve um i particularly i supported i'm on the record of supporting medicinal cannabis which uh, was decriminalised and is now available in the NHS and yet has not been yet prescribed by the NHS and sufferers of chronic illnesses continue to need it but can't get hold of it. Um, there are pretty powerful reasons for not um, decriminalising or legalising uh, other drugs. Um, but on balance, I think uh, I'd rather regulate it and mm-hmm. uh, take the criminality out of it um than than simply sort of ignore it and put fingers in our ears and and pretend the problem isn't there i'd rather i'd rather handle it <laughs> so final question what's the yep. naughtiest thing you ever did and don't say running through fields of wheat <laughs> <laughs> chopping the wheat down um no uh naughtiest thing i ever did well i, I admitted on five live that i'd spoke cannabis so you can have that one again mm-hmm. um uh no, I think probably um, yeah, I'll probably just we'll, stick just with say, that we'll one. set that one. That's okay. 